I must admit, I didn't think much of this show the first time I laid eyes on it. Seemed like a bunch of stiffs wasting nice microphones. The worst trade of all time happened back in 1803. Go ahead. Napoleon Bonaparte traded the Louisiana Purchase for $3 million. Napoleon, what happened? <laughs> Half the country for $3 million. You can't even get Tucker Barnhart for $3 million. And I came to realize these guys are funny. And Justin Fields have identical stats the last five weeks about throwing the football. This guy, okay, and folks, is a some fidget of the best spare. gamblers I've come to know. If you're betting on USC, and or TCU, let it be known, you are a square. TCU is going to hammer this team tomorrow night. I hate to hear that. Tomorrow when we afternoon. come back in here on Monday, you're going to be happy as a lark because USC lost, but you're going to be wrong about TCU. Get ready for the most useless hour of your day. It's time for Boxed Lunch, presented by Betfred Sportsbook. Now, Casey, run that track. All right, welcome to Box Lunch, presented by Betfred Sportsbook. Last night, uh, Fred took a pretty big beating from the folks of Chatterbox, and that's going to probably continue through the uh, through the entire rest of the college basketball season. We're starting to see the board well, you know what I'm saying? And for those that are in the chat right now trying to tell me that Kentucky's back, <laughs> boy, oh boy, do you got something coming. They are not back. They're lucky, they're lucky, Kentucky fans are lucky that they didn't play a team last night that had any interior presence at all. They're playing a Georgia team that won one game in the SEC last year. And the next thing you know, I got to hear about how they're back when they were down at halftime to Georgia at home. And by the way, Rupp Arena, I'm going to say something that's going to trigger some Kentucky fans. Uh -oh. Not elite. Not elite. You know what an elite place looks like? An elite place it looks does. like a bunch of people standing and cheering when your team needs you the most. And there was a bunch of people sitting on their hands last night. When they were down by four, going into halftime, and it sounded like there was a, you know, basically as quiet as a, as a whatever the term is, quiet as a mouse. It was terrible. A reed mouse. A it was mouse. terrible. Not but we'll move on because there's some hump day trends I want to get into. My computer's dead. I don't know where the charger is, so I'll have to figure out. What kind of you charger you got? You said Kentucky Go is ahead. lucky. You're lucky. What kind of charger? We have two rules in the chat, in the Discord, and you broke one of the rules, Trace. Yep. Broke one of them. I know. We have a society. We have rules for a reason. You're lucky you got away unscathed. Uh-oh. Paul's maybe going to save me. Maybe going to save me here. We'll see. Perfect. All right. We're, we're back. But here's, um, here's the topics of conversation today. We've got the hump day trends. We're going to go through the NFL slate, what the early quote-unquote Vegas lines are trying to tell us. we got Pete Rose. I know that's a hot topic of conversation. Rosenthal just did a report in The Athletic. We continue to promote The Athletic on this program because they don't pay us at all, and we, I guess, like the website. So that's that. Uh, Sean Payton. We're going to get into whether or not coaches are worth first-round picks, which is what it's rumored to be. Should you trade a first-round pick for a head coach? Zach Taylor. Uh, fun topic of conversation. We'll have about him a little bit later. And the fact of the matter is, is when you go onto our YouTube analytics behind the scenes here at Chatterbox, the most searched for phrase of all of our quote unquote subscribers is Zach Taylor spelled Z-A-C-H. No lie. His Z-A-K is the, uh, is the right oh, way of doing it. Z-A-C. Z-A-C. My bad. So I put Z-A-K in there as a bit, but at some point... 
Maybe we'll spell the guy's name right. How many more times does he have to win games before his name's spelled right? Uh, color analysts, I think a lot of those guys get a lot of heat. We'll talk about our favorite color analysts, which ones are not good, because as you know, the NFL just, just announced Tony Romo's announcing the game. And uh, I don't know if Tony Romo's loved in this office, and we'll talk about that. And then we'll get into the vault, see if we can't take some more of Fred's money. Uh, so first things first, hump day trends, fellas. I don't know if you've looked at this, but have you seen or looked at the way things are moving? Original gut reactions when you've seen the lines. Take all the analytics out of it. Take all the numbers out of it. But would you, when you've seen the lines, first thing that came to your mind is whether you not you liked it or didn't like it. My gut reaction, at least for the Bengals game, was that they were going to be the public's pick just because I thought four points and it's now gone all the way to five. Thought that the public was going to be more on the Bengals and that is appearing to be true. And, and just like you, I saw the big spreads, um, you know, the Eagles game and the Chiefs game and, and thought you should take the favorites there because that spread's really large for a divisional game. So Vegas is, is trying to trap you and taking the, the dog. But that was, that was my gut reaction on those three games. I really didn't have one on the 49ers Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, the only one that surprised me was the Giants and the Eagles. I thought that would be closer. I thought that would be down around four or five. The fact that that's over a touchdown right now shocked me. Chiefs and Jags, I wasn't surprised at all. I think the Chiefs will kill the Jags. Uh, but. Where, where did you think the Bills-Bengals game was going to be before it came out? Because I thought, personally, like two and a half. Yeah, I, I said a field goal, but, I mean, yeah, same, we're splitting hairs. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I said I said somewhere in that two and a half, three range. I was I was surprised how quickly it got up to five. Yeah. Trace, Trace, you thought it was going to be bigger, right? You thought it was going to be like six. I did. Just by the way that it, that the, the Bengals looked like they were having a difficult time of blocking, you know, pass rushers. Now, they don't have they don't have Vaughn anymore, which is a big deal. We talked about that outside the office. Right. Um, but, yeah, I did think it was going to be like six points because, again, you're playing it. You're playing at home. Maybe, again, I've said I don't think that's a big of a deal as people make it out to be in the NFL. Um, but then you add in the fact that Bengals are just, you know, they, they, they're littered with injuries, man. I'm not trying to make excuses for the Bengals, but just from – it's it's the facts. I mean, they got guys that are playing in the biggest moments of the game on Sunday night that have not played all year long. They haven't even – hell, have they been on the practice squad? You got guys like – you know, the funny thing at this point is like Jonah Williams is being treated as if he's, you know, an all-pro tackle. He's not good at all. Yeah, he's, he's and we're begging for that guy to come back with a sprained kneecap or whatever he's got. Dislocated, dislocated kneecap. It's like, can we get back this terrible guard or, or tackle um, with a dislocated kneecap? That's where the Bengals are at. And I'm not saying that they can't overcome it because if there's one quarterback in this league that can overcome a bad offensive line, it's Joe Burrow. Now, the question that I have really quickly with the, the, um, the hump day trends is obviously the sharps, if you want to call it that, or the big money people in Vegas, the oracles of the world. It seems if they're leaning to be on Buffalo. But one thing I will say to try to give some hope around this situation is what? They've been wrong about the Bengals for a long, long time. And long. it seems like Vegas does this from time to time, right? They're doing it right now, I believe, with Carolina basketball. They did it for like the first half of the year, right? They kept putting out spreads for North Carolina like, what? Kentucky, it's like Kentucky's giving 20 points to South Carolina. Are we seeing that right? Right. They've been doing that with the Bengals for quite some time. It's like they seem like they have not respected the Bengals, so maybe there's just a way for one more week they're wrong again about the Bengals. But that's why I did expect it to be six points, to be fair. So I'm actually relatively pleased 
because I am rooting like hell for the Bengals this week. And not just because I live in Cincinnati, but there would be nothing more than electric to be able to go out to Kansas and be in Kansas City Arrowhead, when the Bengals are playing and then turn that around two days later and have – you guys have no idea what's coming for you, which I've is I've been great. to Cintas. It can't get better. Okay. Well, you're about to find out. But I just hope hope that, that that comes to fruition for whatever reason, obviously, selfishly speaking. As a non-Bengal fan, I want to have that experience possibly out in, uh, out in Kansas City. Now, I will say one thing that came to my mind last night, and this is not a joke. Uh, I was like, you know what, though? If, if the Bengals were to win that game, we might be in trouble because Reed Mouse is going to go out to Kansas City and literally we're going to be put inside of a jail cell because of the, I get in trouble. the way that Reed's going to behave out there, especially if the Bengals were to win. We'd be, we'd, we wouldn't even be able to make it to Allen Fieldhouse because we'd be in 10 fistfights by the time we get out of there. Is that a fair assumption, Reed, or no? Am I putting you in a bad light? No, that's absolutely true. I was in Kansas. I was in Wichita last year when the Bengals beat the the Chiefs in the regular season because I was out visiting my brother who lives in Wichita, and I was at a B Dubs, which is the biggest scam in the in the country. And <laughs> I was talking so much shit to these Kansas City fans. I mean, there wasn't a single person in that place besides myself who wasn't wearing a Patrick Mahomes jersey. I was talking so much shit to them as we just kept getting. Uh, fourth and goal, fourth and goal, fourth and goal try at the end of the ball game with, with just the clock. It's just another penalty, another penalty. I was like, hey, I don't think you guys are going to win this one, guys. I think like, hey, you guys are in trouble right here. And was not a very well-liked guy at that Wichita Buffalo Wild Wings, so much so that I don't think I'd be welcomed back. Yeah. Kentucky fans are not happy with this. They're not happy. They're saying the crowd mics are too, too, too quiet. Kentucky fan, Kentucky stinks. We have a rule in the Discord we cannot bet on Kentucky because they stink. Well, 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 well. Did you bet on them? Uh, last night, no. Yeah, I did. I, mean, I, bet, I bet on that. his Georgia Bulldogs live money line at like plus 1,300. Mm. Yeah. And if they didn't throw that pass away, could cut it to like a four-point game. <laughs> they lost by 11, Brandon. Yeah. No, no, they no, covered no, the it original was, spread. It was momentum changing. But no, my, my point with Kentucky, I'm just going to do it again. Tennessee game. That was all me. You guys all doubted. You're right. Going back to to the reason that Vegas thinks that the bang or, or is low on the Bengals is because the things that the Bengals do you can't really quantify, right? I mean, for the longest time, you, there's a simple success to to having a simple equation to have success in the NFL. Have a good quarterback, have a good coach, protect them with the offensive line, and the Bengals really don't have that great of a coach. They have a good quarterback. They have an offensive line that just bullied, just gets bullied all game long, and then on top of that. There seems to be a luck factor and something that you can't quantify at all, which we just keep getting turnovers. And in four postseason games last year, we had nine turnovers. And the postseason game on Sunday, we got two more turnovers. We're averaging over two turnovers a game. You can't quantify that. Right. You, you can't expect that to happen all every single game. And the Bucks got to shop, stop short at some time, and Vegas is bank, banking on it this weekend. Yeah, they, they, they certainly have this weird potluck feeling to where – how often are they going to continue to find ways to, to, to force these meaningful turnovers, right? Like, last last Sunday was, was, was over the top. I mean, it hasn't been like that ever to where you feel like the game's almost in hand for the Ravens and then inexplicably the guy tries to reach the ball over the goal line, you know, two yards away. And you have the, the mo one of the most memorable plays in sports history in Cincinnati, and it will be that way for at least my lifetime, I feel like, because that's just – an incredible swing of events. It's one thing to get a turnover. It's another thing to get a turnover and then score 98 yards the other way. 
But the, but to your point, if you go back and look at all of these games that the Bengals have found ways to win, it has always happened in a manner in which Vegas would probably deem somewhat quote unquote lucky. Um, but I don't know at this point if it's truly that or if it's just the way in which this defense has continued to operate, which is find ways to turn the ball over. And you know who turns the ball over a lot, it seems like, in critical moments in the red zone is Josh Allen. So if you're a Bengal fan, you at least hold out hope that you're probably going to get some pressure on Josh Allen. He's going to try to make a play because that's what he does. And maybe you can get like what the Dolphins got. You get a strip, you get a uh, scoop and score here or there. And maybe just maybe the Bengals can game plan around the idea that they're not going to be able to block that long. But the thing that stinks about that, and you talked about this read uh, outside the office, is that, you know, Bengal fans from time to time get upset because you're not trying to make the downfield plays with the receivers and the weapons that you have. And you're tired of screens. You're tired of these quick little five-yard hitch routes, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if they have enough time to run those 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 There's long no developing plays, right? Because the offensive line is just not going to hold up, and <laughs> that's the concern you have if you're a Bengals fan. Is is there any chance in hell that you can find ways in which you can give Burrow enough time, and can he continue to squirt around the pocket? And that's the only thing. I mean, every time you talk about this Bengals team, you just go back to number nine, right? If you can get verticality this Sunday, you really like your chances. I don't know if they can with, with their offensive line, but you're right. If you give nine time to cook, you'll make you a meal. <laughs> Fumbledorf is just cracking Fumble, me up. Fumbledorf, Fumbledorf is just <laughs> has got me a lot, of, a lot of book talk today on the show. On yeah. The bench. We're talking, and, and Tom ripped me for my Cujo. Yeah, I know. He ripped me. I knew my Stephen King books. Yeah. I knew it was Christine. I was going to say the killer dog. Uh, so. Cujo. I think that the uh, I seen AJ earlier in the chat said something along the lines of teasing the Giants up. I I don't I don't Tease it down. I don't like that. Tease down the Eagles. I don't like the Giants at all. I I think there's there's this opportunity where the Giants just go and they get they get absolutely massacred. Right. The Eagles are one of those teams that have not played their whole entire roster in what seems like four or five weeks. Um. You've forgotten about them a little bit. It's almost like you've forgotten how good they might be. Right. Um, Houston basketball in college is that way for me. You know, like I was like, oh, I know Kyle, I know Houston's good. I watched them. I watched them last year. In fact, Houston was one of the favorite, my favorite teams of last year. I, I, I picked them to go to the Final Four. It didn't happen, but ultimately, I thought, honest to goodness, truth, coming from a Kansas fan, last year if Houston played Kansas ten times, Houston beats Kansas more times than Kansas beats Houston. I genuinely feel that way. Um, and I watched Kansas, or uh, excuse me, Houston play last night for like five minutes. Turned on the old ESPN Plus. Green wave, baby. And I'm telling you, Houston is a wagon. You just forgot. I just forgot how good they were. I'm like, these guys get after it on defense. They're relentless. And they just got athletes everywhere. Maybe the Eagles are somewhat like that as I'm getting at. It's like, I just, you just forget how good the Eagles were because they haven't played in so long. That I think they might go out and they just take the Giants to the woodshed, and I wouldn't do that 13 and a half point teaser as AJ brought up. But let's move forward to I'm not going to do the whole entire, not going to spend much time on it thing. I've, okay. I've, I've sat in my room at night, late at night, Paul, and I was like, I can't do it. You practice on your segues. Practice, practice on, your segues. on my segues. There we go. We're going to talk about Pete Rose really quickly. Rosenthal just did an article. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I mean, come on. Oh, that's elite that's elite television all right all right rosenthal did an article on pete rose and 
he's basically come to terms with the fact that he doesn't believe Pete will ever get in. And he hints it around the idea that he doesn't deserve to be in, but also understands the people that um, want him to be in. My take on it is relatively straightforward. Pete did it to himself. I don't feel bad for Pete. I feel indifferent about the whole situation. But I want to bring up a point. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this as well. And in the chat, I know maybe we'll go back and forth on the whole Pete thing. Should it be in? Should he not be in? Two points I'll make. One, I actually think the whole Pete saga has been actually a good ambassador for Pete. And it doesn't mean that that's what Pete wants. But I don't think Pete Rose has talked about nowhere near as much as he's talked about if he doesn't have this saga. You know, there's a lot of people that know of Pete Rose largely just based off the fact that he's brought up about the Hall of Fame, not because he's the hit king. And then it leads to people learning that he is the hit king. So I don't think it's all bad that this saga has gone on this long. The other side of the coin with the MLB is I think that this specific commissioner, Rob Manfred, has shown to me that he's been far more lenient on what I would consider very serious topics and very serious allegations and very, very serious wrongdoings by other organizations, the Houston Astros specifically, to where you could make the argument that the punishment that was handed down on his behalf of things that affected the game far worse than what Pete Rose ever did have gotten a severe less punishment than what Pete Rose has been given. Now, granted, this was a kind of grandfathered in to him, what it didn't happen on his watch. So the easy thing for Rob Manfred to do is do what? It's to do the exact same thing that every other commissioner does, which is I'm not touching it with a 10-foot pole, and I don't care about it enough to make a ruling on it one way or the other. And the only thing that I hope doesn't happen is if he doesn't get in before he's dead, then don't ever put him in. Because the worst thing that could happen, in my opinion, is the only reason I think Pete wants to get in is a little bit of ego-driven, obviously, because I think he wants the ability to speak at Cooperstown. So if he can't speak at Cooperstown, then forget it. Thoughts on the whole situation? I know you guys have both kind of been... I don't want to say anti-Pete, but go ahead and give me your, your opinion on the situation. Well, no, I don't, I'm not so much anti-Pete. I do get tired of the argument from people that, well, because MLB is taking betting deals, then, you know, right. he should be in. That's not that's, – that's that is wrong because just because MLB is affiliated with gambling companies now – it doesn't mean that David Bell can go out and bet on the Reds. It right. doesn't mean that Joey Votto can go out and take the Reds' run line. Right. I understand, I will concede, that the optics of it do look bad, but that doesn't change the core of what you can do as a Major League Baseball player to go out and bet on your own team. Now, I know that the, the, the flip side of that is, well, he was always betting on the Reds. Well, if you think about it, what about a night where he didn't bet on the Reds? Does that tip off the bookie that oh maybe I shouldn't maybe I should bet on the other team like right. there are elements to this that I don't think get talked about enough and maybe they do and I just don't see it but I think there are things that not everybody thinks about with this whole Pete Rose situation and the gambling thing that I just kind of get tired of I do think he should be in I think we're beyond this I also think if Pete had owned up to this and been a better person about it 30 years ago 20 years ago 15 years ago right. instead of continually doubling down on it we wouldn't be in this situation if he had 
owned up to his mistakes, admitted it, not just been so sly about everything and just moved on, we probably aren't having this conversation. He's probably in, in Cooperstown in the 90s, but that's not where we're at. I think this whole thing, and, and I'm a bit of a hypocrite about this because I personally believe that all these players in the 90s and the early 2000s that, that took steroids should be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't believe that Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. And the difference between those two things, I believe, is that for the guys that took steroids, there wasn't a precedent. It was this murky water, like you kind of knew that you shouldn't do it, but there wasn't any rules. There wasn't anything that happened in the past to signify that it was an absolute no. In fact, there's actually um, a good bit of evidence that says that MLB was endorsing players to to continue to take these performance-enhancing drugs. In fact, they didn't even start making it outright outlawed until 2003, and that's when they started drug testing it. So people like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, all these guys never even failed a drug test. Now, Pete Rose, on the other hand, failed to live up to a precedent that was given to the MLB 60 years prior. The Black Sox scandal kicked eight people out of the league 60 years prior because they were gambling on the games that they were playing. The difference is that Pete Rose, there was one rule, one big rule written above every clubhouse, you know, metaphorically, that you don't bet on the games. You don't bet on the games that you are actively taking part in, and he did that. And that is the single greatest sin that you could have as a competitor Regardless if you're betting on your team or against your team, he broke the single biggest rule that the MLB have, and he's still paying the consequences to this day. He knew the precedent. He did it anyways, and he's living the consequences. Anything against it, Pete Rose is a great Hall of Fame, is a Hall of Fame caliber player, but he's living with the consequences. He's laying in the bed that he made. But at what point does character matter in the Hall of Fame? I, I don't believe it should matter at all. I, I yeah. don't think the character thing is what's stopping him from getting in and getting out. I know that he hasn't helped himself. No, no, no. I do think the character thing is what is keeping him out. I'm saying, should it matter that his character... You know, right. are we going based pure... Basically what I'm saying, if you're a good player, but you're a really shitty person, should you still be in? Well, no. I mean, there's a plenty of baseball players that are in the Hall of Fame that are already been very, very clearly noted. They're not very good people. Ty Cobb's one of them. But... I, that that's where the whole debate like turns into a whole different direction and and I and, and that's the part where I really don't even feel like get into all of it because we've it's been at nauseum to, to to the point where should he be in should he not be in it's relatively simple for me do you want Cooperstown to be a museum about baseball or do you want it to be about great baseball players that also fit a narrative or did things in the proper way that that major league baseball writers want them to be a part of. And it should not be the latter of the two things I said. It should be strictly based off of whether you are good enough to be in the Hall of Fame and be recognized as a historical museum, which is what Cooperstown should be. I do think that his character has kept him out. I don't no think doubt. that should matter at all. But, but that said, he broke a rule that was in place that stated, if you do these things, right. then this happens to you. You can't, you can't then, after the fact, complain about character and complain about, well, other people do really, really poor things. No, at no point does it say you can't make the Hall of Fame if you kill somebody, right? We all know you shouldn't kill anyone. We all know right. that's a bad thing to do in society. But there's not a rule that states that if you kill someone, you can't get in the Hall of Fame. There's a rule that states if you bet on baseball... 
then you're banned from baseball and you're not going to get in the Hall of Fame. So it is what it is. I just think that it's okay as a major as Major League Baseball. I actually think whether you want to call it a marketing ploy, whether you want to call it having forgiveness, whatever term you want to use, I don't care. I think it'd be a good thing. It'd be a smart thing for Major League Baseball to allow him to be in the Hall of Fame and, and, and quite frankly, not give him the platform to speak. I think if they just said, you know what? We're going to put him in the Hall of Fame. He's going to be a part of this specific monument. It's going to explain everything he did, all of his hits, and the whole entire scandal, and it's going to be there for people to see it and read about it because that's truly what the Hall of Fame should be about, right? It should be a historical well, museum. Well, here's the thing that the Hall of Fame already does. They already document the great things that Pete Rose has done. When you go to Cooperstown and you see a picture of the Big Red Machine, they don't take white out and, and color over Pete Rose. They have his hits. They have his bats. They have bases that he stole, things that he did of, of great merit that should be in the Hall of Fame. They're already there in Cooperstown. The only thing that isn't there is a plaque with Pete Rose's likeness that claims in a, in a short paragraph all the great things that he did, all the teams that he played for. He just doesn't have a plaque. And that's they, – they already document what he does, what he's done. They just don't have the Well, then, the my, in, in my opinion, I didn't know they had that. I mean, do they have anything specifically on him being the hit king? I don't know. They, they have they, they have, they have the, the ball. They have I – don't, I don't know if they have his bat, but they, they do a good job at chronologizing all of, all of baseball history. All right. Well, then that's good enough for me. And we'll move on because it seems as if this topic gets brought up every year, and it probably will get brought up every year. Until, until, until Pete Rose passes away, and there's well probably even a few years that pass that, and then it's going to be a mute point. Um, Sean Payton, next subject. Should you be spending first-round draft capital on a head coach? Head coaches are important, fellas, but how important are they is the real question. Because when you go around the league and you start looking at all the great head coaches, you know what they have next to them? More than likely, they have a great quarterback. We've talked about this at, at length at times in here, and people want to make fun of us in the chat and saying, oh, yeah, breaking news. A good quarterback changes an organization. Well, how much does a head coach matter? Because right now, Sean Payton's getting interviews. He's openly talking about the interviews, which is kind of wild to me as well. And we're talking about the, 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 the Saints who have, um, I guess they have control if you want to call it that over his contract and they are going to ask for people to basically give them trade trade capital what do you think a head coach is worth i personally would not give up a first round pick for sean payton no way i would like yeah because i don't know what he's done outside of having an incredible quarterback now if you have a, a quarterback in place and say you think the the one big piece because is is now we need a coach because the secret to the NFL is 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 no secret. Get a good coach, get a good quarterback, and you're going to do pretty well. Um, Sean Payton did all of his success with Drew Brees, who's a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I'm of the the mind that coaches are made from quarterbacks, not the other way around. And and to your point, and since 2000, there's been two coaches that have been traded for first round draft picks. The first or the most recent was John Gruden back in 2002. He was traded from. Um, the Buccaneers to the Raiders. He was traded for a first-round pick and, and some other picks, two first-round picks, and $8 million. That obviously didn't work out great. I mean, they had some decent years. Now, the other coach that got traded for a first-round pick was back in 2000. The Jets traded 
your defensive coordinator, Bill Belichick, over to the Patriots for a first-round pick. And we all know that has been pretty successful. But in today's age, I don't think coaches are worth, worth draft capital unless you already have a quarterback in the system. If you're thinking that a coach is going to make a quarterback, that's not going to be the case. Other way around, sure, that can happen. Nathaniel Hackett, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I value... I value what a good coach can bring as opposed to what a bad coach can tear down. And that brings... I, I mean, it's just... I, I do. I, I just think a bad coach can really steer you. Maybe the maybe a good coach isn't as valuable as we think they are, but I think a bad coach can really derail the process. I think it's a... Well-executed point, and the thought that come to my mind every time I think of head coaches. I think head coaches are valuable from the standpoint of the culture that they build. I don't know how much of a standpoint of X's and O's truly matter. Mike Tomlin's a guy that comes to mind from stability factor, but Zach Taylor has more wins than, than, than Mike Tomlin has had. I think, I don't know what the exact set is, but it's an incredible amount of time. And it, it always just goes back to the point of what players do you have on the roster and can someone build a culture that can cultivate that roster that allows them to succeed and gives them what I would call freedom. You know, one thing about the Patriots and why it works so well is because you had a quarterback in Tom Brady that from my standpoint had the same mentality of Belichick to a certain point, right? Where the culture was very, you know, you don't talk to the media. You're not going to go out and have a bunch of you know, endorsement deals. This is strictly business. You come in, the, you come in, you do your work, you leave. You don't make a peep when you leave, and it is what it is. Mm -hmm. To where when, when, when you don't have a leader that's on the field that does the same things like that, then that culture becomes toxic. Like, you got guys that don't completely buy into that, and then it kind of spreads to the locker room of like, why are we doing this? This is ridiculous that we're doing this. It's hard to do that in the Patriots locker room when Tom Brady is doing it and he expects everyone else to do it. But when Mac Jones comes in right now, and I think that there's some some budding heads that's going on in New England, I think the Belichick thing can run run its course incredibly quick. But then on the opposite side, I almost say like I don't want to say a complete opposite, but like Zach Taylor to me, from a cultural standpoint, is almost the opposite of a Bill Belichick, right? It's very player oriented, wants them to be themselves, wants them to have fun. And I think that there's this situation where it always comes back to the players. I know that in the chat they're going to say, well, head coaches matter. Of course they matter a little bit. But more importantly, what leaders do you have on your team to where it's a player-led locker room? You hear it all the time, right? You hear every even head coaches admit this. The best teams are what? They're player-led. And I don't know if I'm giving up a first-round pick for Sean Payton when... He's proven to me, like you said, there's a reason he wanted to get out of, you know, New Orleans. And it wasn't because it wasn't because he was tired of coaching. It was because he's seen the writing on the wall. He had a lot of leaders that left the locker room and now he's just getting the hell out of there before it turned into a sour mess and his his stock fell to an all time low. So I don't know. And how long I guess here's the, the million dollar point I'm gonna make. How long do coaches truly make a difference in the NFL before it turns south anyways? There's not many of them. 
You have a better chance of finding a first-round pick that's going to help you for the next five to six, seven years or a head coach that's going to turn around your organization. Quarterback's turning around quicker. There's no doubt about that. And I don't want to tear down Sean Payton, but why is he thought of so highly amongst amongst head coaches? I'm, I'm looking at his, his career in New Orleans. He was there for 16 years. He had seven losing seasons. So out of the 16 seasons, he had nine winning and seven losing. What, am I missing something here on Sean Payton? And that's what the Hall of Fame quarterback there the entire run. Right. Uh, Everett, I actually think that's an incredible point you bring up in regards to the Mahomes versus Andy Reid thing. I think that there are some elite head coaches, but I also think it's just as important to have a good, like to build a good culture in an organization. And general managers are probably the least... Um, appreciated, I think maybe is the word that comes to mind, the least appreciated job in the NFL. When you have a very, very good roster, I know Duke Tobin gets some credit in Cincinnati, but how many times do you really, truly hear Duke Tobin's name brought up? Like, not not that often, right? I It just, maybe that's, it, it takes everybody. I'm just, my point is, I guess, we'll never really know whether whether it's worth it or not. I mean, if you're, dra- if you're drafting Jackson Carmen in the first round, then maybe it is worth to get shot in Peyton. But if you're drafting Joe Burrow, then obviously it's not, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on whether you need a quarterback or you don't. If you're going to a team that already has a right. franchise quarterback, sure, trade it away if you're going to take a middle linebacker. But there's no way I'm giving up a top 15 pick in the NFL draft for a, for a head coach, ever. Yeah, let, let, ever. Me put it, let me put it this way. If he goes to the Chargers, I think the Chargers will be incredibly successful. With Justin Herbert and Sean Payton at the helm, They'll be great. He goes He goes to the Broncos. There's nothing that makes me believe that Sean Payton can turn that around. Fair. All right. Zach Taylor, spelled wrong. And like I said before, in our search bar, it says the most, most searched thing within your viewership demographic is Zach Taylor, Z-A-C-H. At what point does he get the respect of this town? Are we there yet? I think we are. But I'm just wondering... What does he have to do to where he gets a pass? Because I was thinking last Sunday night, what would this town look like and be like if Zach Taylor was John Harbaugh in that same situation? He would be completely outed. Though I don't want to say the, the entire city, but most of the city would be talking about how they need to fire him. In fact, we were already, and I know some of this is fandom. In fact, we were doing that week two, I think. Week three around here was, is Zach Taylor on the hot seat and is he going to get fired? I think he's earned the right by one statement. One thing that happened week ago that made me say, Zach Taylor is here as long as he wants to be here, as long as things go relatively well. And that statement was, when Joe Burrow was asked about his time in Cincinnati, I don't know. I'm sure Casey might be able to find the, the, the take, and I'll give you some time, obviously, to find it. Maybe by the end of the segment, you can find this clip. He was doing a Sunday night football interview, I believe, with Maria Taylor. Mm-hmm. And they were, at, they were talking about, obviously, his career, and the window that he was going to have was his entire career. And he brought up the point that I know many Cincinnati fans say, seen that he wants to be in Cincinnati for his entire career, and he wants to do it with Zach, and he loves Zach. I think that one statement had to have swayed, and I'm, you guys are Cincinnati fans, had to have swayed anybody that was on the fence about Zach 
to be all all the way in on Zach Taylor, no matter what, because the guy that matters the most loves him. So what's it matter? Thoughts on that too, fellas? Well, I, we do love Joe Burrow almost unconditionally. So when you get a, a vote of confidence from Joe Burrow about Zach Taylor, then, then that gives you something. But then again, Justin Herbert gave Brandon Staley a vote of confidence after that game on, on Saturday. So maybe that doesn't, doesn't weigh a whole lot of opinion all the time. The thing about Zach Taylor is everything we've already known. He, he's great, built a great locker room. Um, he's got Joe Burrow there. And the simple fact of the matter is we are the Cincinnati Bengals, so we're locked into Zach Taylor for a decade, whether we not like it or not. He took us to the Super Bowl. We saw this with Marvin Lewis. He's going to be here unless he loses 26 straight games. Then he's gone. But he's here for the decade. Uh, I don't so. tell Georgetown that. <laughs> but, yeah, he's going he's gonna to be here for the long haul. So any conversation talking about whether Zach needs to be here or not seems fruitless. I've got the clip pulled up if you want it. Go ahead, run the clip. Roll it. Um, I guess on Sunday, and it's, the window's always open. My entire career, the window is going to be open. Describe exactly what you meant by that. My plan is to be here my whole career, and, and hopefully Zach is here my whole career, um, and hopefully a lot of our guys are around for as long of, as my career as, as they can be, and you know, I have a lot of confidence in the front office mm -hmm. doing their jobs in, in the offseason. They've had, I mean, we've drafted well we brought in great free agents we've claimed guys off waivers that have really made an impact on our team and so I think we have one of the best front offices in the league and Zach in my opinion is the best head coach in the league and so that gives me a lot of confidence that's a far cry from what the talks were before he was drafted I'm telling you I don't know if you remember I'm sure you do about what the national media and the narrative was on the Cincinnati Bengals before Joe Burrow got here it was so bad that the national media was trying to act as if Joe Burrow was going to hold out and he wasn't going to sign with the Bengals. They're a dysfunctional organization. There was no quarterbacks that could ever possibly win here, which was the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard in my life, largely because they just had two quarterbacks that played pretty damn well in the organization. And I'm not trying to sit here and be a stand for the Cincinnati Bengals, but Carson Palmer didn't have a bad career. And Andy Dalton didn't have a bad career either. So to sit here and think that, 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 that quarterbacks go to die in Cincinnati was one of the most absurd things I've ever heard in my life. And the fact that it's played out the way that it has has been quite, frankly, hilarious in the way in which people wanted to deem Cincinnati was like, it's almost as if they were treating it like it was Detroit or, for, for lack of a better term, Cleveland. Do you remember that, fellas? I mean, was that as big as of a deal as I, I remember it being? I truly remember the fact that we were having conversations around the national media talking about how there was not going to be any way in the world in which Joe Burrow was going to have success in Cincinnati because it was the Bengals. I remember Stephen A. Smith going to bat for Cincinnati, and Stephen A. warmed my heart a little bit. He's like, are we going to continue talking about the Cincinnati Bengals like there's some godforsaken franchise? They went to the playoffs five straight times, and yeah, I remember that. Of course I remember that. That was ludicrous. And Joe Burrow proved him wrong. That's all that matters. The narrative that was Joe Burrow didn't want to come here, anyone, and at that time I was, you know, covering the Bengals locally, every local reporter knew that was not true. But then you had the national media saying, doesn't want to come here, has no interest, he's going to pull, what, an Eli Manning, whatever you want to say. Uh, Mike Florio rode that train all the way up to the draft. And, of course, it turned out not to be true. But, I mean – 
that that the narrative that you that that he didn't want to come here and that his career wasn't going to be any good if he came to Cincinnati was totally false, and I'm glad that he's proving them wrong. That's the thing that stinks about this business, in my opinion, is like it's the it's the it's the business that we're in where you have to in order to to, to gain viewership, in order to make big splashes in this industry, you got to say outlandish stuff. You got to have thumbnails that are crazy. You got to have titles that are ridiculous. And we've we've tried to adopt that to a small extent because you have to to get viewership. And in order to get any kind of revenue at a company like ours, you got to have viewership. And it it becomes this toxic circle that is the, the the national media or the media in general, right? We don't need to go down a society issue, which is largely based off the fact that journalism has turned into clicks. Clicks turns into revenue. You follow the money and you find out why people do the things they do. There's a reason that Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp, and Skip Bayless are the highest paid media personalities. And largely, for the most part, they they all have one thing in common that we know of. And it's not always being right. It's like, what does Florio lose based off of what he did, which is nothing. Which is why this whole thing sucks from time well, to time. I think Mike Florio and Bengals fans, because of that, have had a little bit of a back and forth. And I, I, I don't get into the... Uh, debate like the sports debate show yelling at each other that stuff i just remember distinctly that narrative coming out from his show and him talking about the Bengals or burrow not wanting to go to the Bengals because his career wasn't going to be good there and everyone around the Bengals organization or that had a connection to burrow including myself said that's not true and mike floro has more sources than me more sources than 90 percent of people that are in the business so that's what i didn't I didn't understand that point. Well, Florio gets on these weird kicks for as good as he can be. He gets on these weird kicks sometimes where he'll get on a take like that and he won't get off when it's obvious that it's wrong. And he'll just come out with the wildest things sometimes where I'm like, Mike, you're smarter than that. You know this, mm -hmm. is, not, mm -hmm. this is not right or not true or whatever it is. And I don't know why he does that. Uh, I know, I know, you know, I understand what you're saying, Trace, but Florio seems to be in a, in a maybe a different spot where I don't think he has to do that but he does i don't get it because i think he's better than that and yet he still will get on he'll climb these mountains and he'll never want to he'll never want to yeah, that's get off that's one i just did not understand yeah all right yeah and i it, it is what it is at some point like like uh emperor brings up i mean one of the best viewed shows of our time was controversy it's when we put on there that the Bengals got screwed and they did get screwed i wasn't here for that day i think that was a day that i had to be out of the office but um they did and you know, i'm that's not a Bengals fan saying that it's absolutely ridiculous that that the game that's played in buffalo this week wasn't at least somewhat of a coin flip or there wasn't some kind of situation i'm not going to drag us back into that whole conversation but i'm just telling you from out, outsider's perspective it was it was ridiculous Color analysts. Um, I think most color analysts are good. I also think most broadcasters are good. I don't know why there's such hate for as many broadcasters as there are. I know it's a very difficult job. I know much, much of it has to do with the fact that when you're watching a game, you're so invested in the game from a specific team playing more than likely because you're a fan. And you always think that for whatever reason, the thing that you see is not brought up by the broadcaster. So as soon as that happens, you think that they're biased or whatever but i seen that romo um was brought up today that he was calling the game um, in buffalo and i was on this take a couple years ago before it was popular 
And I have a problem with Romo that's not so much that he hates the Bengals or he hates this team or that team. I don't think he truly hates any specific team. I just don't know if I think he's good at his job. I don't think that he really understands the timing of which to be able to have a point and get off a point or be able to say something and not say something. It's more than likely my issue with him is just the nature that is there's not a flow to his game. I think that everyone else that I have that in my mind is a color analyst and we can go through the room and it's like, who's your favorite color analyst? I think Kirk's great. I think Collinsworth is good. I know people were mad at him last Sunday night, but I think if you take your Bengal fandom away and you kind of clear that, listen, Raven fans are pissed off at Collinsworth's calling the game because he used to be a Bengal, so no one's happy. Um, I think Rafferty's great. <laughs> Stir There's a lot of great ones, but you guys, I really guy. don't like Romo. I don't, I don't even think it's because he hates the Bengals. I think it's genuinely because the guy's just up there and he seems like he's treating it sometimes like it's just... I don't, not that he doesn't prepare, he probably does, but it just seems like he's just winging it half the time. He's just saying whatever the hell he wants to say. Uh, you you want to, I have a lot of thoughts on this and I, I don't, I don't want to eat the whole segment. Go I ahead. Got, I got a lot of thoughts hey, on this. Hey, take as much time as you'd like. Uh, uh, so I think the biggest difference in color analysts and, and look, I mean, I've, I'm not going to sit here and like try and, and be like Tom or anything and say like, I've done anything close to that level, but I have worked with a lot of different analysts over the last six years that I've been doing play-by-play -play. and it the thing that has stood out to me when I listen to the guys at, at the top when I listen to the really good guys is that the analysts that are good when you think here's a good analyst the reason that you think guys are bad is because you can really tell the difference between a good one and a bad one you might not be able to tell a bad one in the moment but when you watch a game and and you hear somebody that you then realize is not very good, and then you listen to a really good one. For example, in the college game, Joel Klatt and Kirk Herbstreit are, are the two best. Hands down, no dispute. Mm -hmm. They are the best. When I think of a, an analyst in football, I don't want them to overwhelm me because I never played football, so yeah. I, don't, I don't understand the X's and the O's as much as people that played football or coached football did. But I know enough about the game that I can understand the concepts. I don't need you to talk to me like I'm five but I need you to talk to me like I'm maybe 11 or 12 right. when I'm when you're breaking down the game. Give me enough that you can use the telestrator. You can say why the guard pulled this way, whatever. But don't overwhelm me with you know the play calls, everything like that. I think Kirk and I think Joel do that exceptionally well. In basketball, a lot of people don't like him because they think he's a Duke guy. But I think Jay Billis is the best college basketball analyst in the great. game. Jay's Jay, worn me out a little bit lately, though. Got to be honest. That's fine. He's, that's, co he's complaining. Listen, I love Jay. I think Jay's one of the best to ever do what he was doing. But he's gotten to the point in his career where all he wants to do anymore, in my opinion, is just like complain about officiating or complain about something within the game that's really... He's not pessimistic. that big of a deal. There's no doubt about he that. He seems he, like he's gotten to a point where he's way too pessimistic for me. Uh, he's that, a glass he, half empty guy. He, he is. And if you're on his Twitter, he's complaining a lot about the people that, you know, you know the, the pay for play thing. Like, it's a lot of the, the same shticks with Jay. But when Jay is at his best, when he's breaking right. down a game, no Jay is really good. Raftery's gotten a little older, but he's still very, very good. Onions! Uh, the... College basketball has has a lot of uh, has a lot of pretty good guys that I can turn on a game and I can think, oh man, you know, we we got a very niche reference. But if you watch Big East basketball, Nick Ba is amazing. I love when he's on a game. 
just when I can get enough that I can understand a second level to a game, but that's not so overwhelming or so condescending that you're talking down to me. But this is also where I get back to um, Tony Romo, where Romo needs to take a stand, right? Romo, too often Romo will be in a game and he'll say, well, I I don't know, Jim, what do you think? I don't know. That's why we're paying you $100 million is because we want to know what you think. We don't care what Jim thinks. Jim's job is to tee you up, to set you up so that you can make that decision, so that you can analyze, so that you can offer your opinion. You are the analyst. There is a play-by-play guy who generally did not, you know, the play-by-play guy is somebody that is skilled in doing the play-by-play. The color guy is somebody that played the game or coached the game. Somebody that is familiar with the game mm-hmm. and, can, and can communicate it well to the audience. Jim Nance's job is not to break down a play like it is for Tony Romo. And when Jim constantly gets it thrown back at him from Tony, I'm like, Tony, you're the one that's supposed to be telling me this. Don't be wishy-washy. Put your flag in the sand and give me a take, even if it's wrong. Share your opinion. And he was great on that in the beginning. And now he's just come back down to earth and it's a joke. And I hate, I hate, I hate when color broadcasters talk over the call too quickly of a play-by-play broadcaster. A play, Joe, Dan, uh, Joe Davis and Oral Hershiser with the Dodgers are phenomenal with this. Joe Davis and John Smoltz on the World Series are phenomenal with this. I think John's really good. Do you not like John? I don't like John. I love John. I think he's good, but he's not as good as Oral and Joe. But then again, they don't get to work together a ton. When Joe gives a call, Joe Buck is really good at this too. You lay out. You don't. The color analyst doesn't come back in immediately and offer all of his thoughts right away. You let the scene, you let the crowd, you let the producer give all the crowd shots, the the scenery, and then you come in and you offer your your take a few seconds later, 10, 15, 20 seconds later. There's just something about letting the broadcast breathe off of the play-by-play calls job like what we saw from Tarico and Collinsworth didn't Incredible. say anything for a minute I mean that the way that Tarico did you know the Cincinnati kid and then let it go and we saw the crowd and everything right. else and Collinsworth didn't overstep him phenomenal that, phenomenal that's like with Romo and I I still am a fan of Romo. I'm not on the Romo hate train yet, like uh, Casey and others. But, like but the the call that Jim Nance had in the AFC Championship game, where this kick will send Cincinnati could send Cincinnati to the Super Bowl, and he hits it. He was done. He was gonna let it go, and then Tony Romo just jumps in. I bet he said it again. I bet he turned to Joe Burrow and said, "I guess we're going to the Super Bowl." And I'm like. It was like two seconds. Like, like yeah. let it, let the moment happen. And I'm one of those weird guys that gets on YouTube and watches plays like that seven thousand times again for the next fifty years. And that's like, I cringe when he starts talking. I'm like, let it breathe. Well, he didn't let the other thing. And, 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 and listen, Tony, that the job's hard, right? I mean, it's not hard talking. I'm trying to say not hard. It is very hard talking in microphones, right? You, you, you have to fill air. An incredible amount of the time everyone hears what you say there's no really room for hiccup if you say something you know dumb or unintelligent from time to time it gets ran on repeat forever because oh did you hear what tony said about this i have more of an issue with tony at this point for not in my opinion trying to get better at his job i thought that when he first started when he first started 
he was trying to predict every play, and I was somewhat okay with that because he was new. But I feel like he's gotten to the point now where it's just like he roll. It's like they roll the balls out on the court and they just go play, and there's never really any like development. He got paid a boatload of money, not based off of whether or not he was going to get better or not. And I truly feel this way. I don't know if Jim will ever say it. I think Jim Nance, to a certain extent, is, I don't say frustrated, but I think he just said, hell with it. Like, it is what it is. This is what I got to deal with. They paid him a bag. They're not going to get rid of him. I got to deal with it. I'm going to do the best I can. If it, I've had a hell of enough of a career now to where I'm not going to get caught up in the semantics of him ruining my call or not. So he just goes in there. And I actually think... Maybe I'm wrong on this. I love Jim Nance. I think his football has gotten worse. And maybe it's because of Tony and the way that it goes back and forth. But sometimes Jim can do an unbelievable job of flowing through a situation or trying to set the stage for something. Golf, he's a lead at it, right? Even in March Madness, I think from time to time he can be a lead at it. But for whatever reason right now, and, and, and you can watch it on Sunday, I feel like he struggles with pacing on when to get in and when to get out because there's such this spontaneity. And that's not the word I'm looking for, but you get my point. With Tony, to where he doesn't know when he's going to get cut off and not cut off. So he struggles on trying to find out when he can say things and not say things. So the biggest case in point was the whole kick return when DeMar Hamlin's or the, the Bills next game back with DeMar Hamlin, the, the, mm -hmm. the kickoff return. They needed to shut up for like 25 seconds after that touchdown. Just go to the crowd. Listen to the roars. Go to the emotion of the players' faces. Don't say a damn word. And Tony's out over here just blabbering left and right about everything. And I'm like, Tony, just yeah. shut up. Just shut up. Someone just, it's almost like, Tony, read a book. Read the room. Anyways. Who's well, your favorite baseball guy? Color guy. Um... I think John Smoltz is elite, but I don't like don't. John Smoltz because I think he segregates the community too much by being too. Because I, I guess it's because he attacks guys like me who are analytical, and he's constantly on the opposite side of that, constantly bashing the analytical crowd. To where anyone who is analytical, like myself, I'm just like, ah, oh, God, John Smoltz again. Ah, oh, God, John Smoltz. I like Eduardo Perez. I think Eduardo oh, Perez is good. Yeah, I'm not a Perez Follows guy. me on Twitter. I like ah, David Cohn. I'm not a Perez guy. Don't like A-Rod. Oh, so okay. The A-Rod thing, a that's another – that goes back again. A-Rod's Romo. It goes back again to my take of the guys that are – how hard it is to be a really good color analyst and communicate what you're thinking when you know the game really well because it's clear that A-Rod knows the game really well. Look at how good A-Rod was in the studio. Yeah. Man, was he a really good studio guy for the World Series with Fox. And he was on the set with Poppy and Pete Rose and everybody else a couple of years ago. Then they threw him in the booth. Yikes. A-Rod's tough. Chris Welsh is really good. Yeah, local, guy, a, local, uh, guy, local guys are always great. Right? I will say this. Not always. I'm looking straight into the face of the Reds like, organization or whoever's running Bally Sports. Barry Larkin is as terrible and as bad of a color analyst as one can get. I'm being dead serious. I love Barry. Great player. Great for the organization. Incredible Red. But the fact that Chris Welsh is getting pushed to the side for Barry is is so absurd and ridiculous. He's he's not good at his job, and Chris Welsh is great at his job. And somehow we got to since Barry was a hell of a shortstop, we got to find a way to just to shove him in the booth, and it just isn't working. 
It's it. it I can't even listen to the guy. Seriously. You, you got. You, you He's for, that bad. You ready for a hot take about baseball broadcasters? I like Jessica Mendoza. I know that's a hot take. I like Jessica Mendoza. I don't listen enough. You know what's sad about this reader? I don't watch enough baseball games on Sunday nights to have a take on that. I I, I, I rarely watch baseball if it's not Fox Sports. If it's, or if I it's not say the Red, Red Legs playing. It's not the Reds playing. I'm not watching baseball. More than likely, there's a damn good chance of it. She's gotten better. I like Mendoza. She's gotten better. He's ah. learning. Listen, I'm telling you, Barry's not learning nothing. He's 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 get him out of here. Get him out of here. Um, the best duo in the NFL. We'll go around the room. Joe and Troy. And for my money, it's not even close. Yeah, Joe and Troy. Bro. Joe and Troy. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah yeah. That is football. Like that is the gold. I don't standard. know. There's some good ones though. How bad was Al Michaels and and, and Tony Dungy the other night? Well, I, oh God, Tony, liven up a little bit, brother. Jeez <laughs> Louise, these oh. guys are making money doing this clearly because I think some of them do it just because the money's good. We're watching the greatest comeback in postseason history. Did never known it. There it, it is. Felt like a funeral. There's a flag on the play, and that's a touchdown. Yeah, it was bad. It sounded like Bob Cox. What do you? What's your two favorites? Say you got, up. Let's go. Let's uh, go. I really like Jim Nance. So he's I'm gonna at, go Jim and Tony because I like I like Jim Nance so much. That's fair. I mean, um, I'm gonna cheat a little bit. I'm he's gonna, gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna cheat a little bit because I really loved Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth together. I thought they they shouldn't have separated that. I think uh, Al Michaels is. He wasn't the same this year, and I think part of it was like Herb Street. I don't know what was going on there. Whole I Thursday Kirk night playoff. Good. He thought he was good. I, yeah. Maybe it was just because I stopped watching Thursday night football. It yeah. was so bad, but that would be my my duo. I think Kirk. I think Kirk was great. I think some of it's just the games were so bad that it was hard for them to really have weeks. any any excitement, right? And some of it is the game. The game can make the broadcast. I think that that's why Jim Nance, it's not because he's not elite at his job. He is, but he's also been in some elite moments that make you, that, that just make it incredibly memorable. And when you're, when you're doing as many big events as Jim Nance is doing, it's just you're open to the opportunity of having more great calls. Gus Johnson's elite, you know. Bill Raffery reminds me of the Gus Johnson of color analysts, right? Like, oh, yeah. Gus Johnson, the Gusisms. Yeah, the the Xavier one is is top five calls of my life, probably. Probably Kansas yep. State. Incredible. Yeah, he's got a hurry. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Ah. That was awesome. Yeah. All right, let's go to the vault. <laughs> let's go to the vault, fellas. All um, right, I'm in the vault right now. Yeah, let's. Uh, what do you like? I've been Paul? digging around. Paul, you like Clemson tonight? Go ahead, Paul. You start us off. Uh, I like Virginia tonight at home. Uh, minus five at home. Uh, UConn on the road. Don't know if I love that as much. Uh, one that is kind of sneaky that I don't think a lot of people are really looking at too much. West Virginia minus two and a half over TCU. Mm. Huggy Bear. They got to win this game. You got to get people involved. West Virginia has to win this game. But <laughs> you want to talk about laying a trap. West Virginia, two point favorites, even though they are at home against TCU, who just got that win over K State over the weekend. Yeah. 
Right? They did win that game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. By like 20. Yeah. You talk about laying a trap right there and there. It's as good as it gets. New assistant coach, Damar Johnson. We, he's, the, he's the difference maker tonight for the Musketeers. We have two rules That's in the Discord. Mountaineers, Mountaineers, Mountaineers. We do not bet on UK, and we do not bet on Villanova. I think, and this isn't, this isn't my in-the-vault play, but I might throw a little scratch on UConn tonight. And if they lose, I'm putting them on the no-bet list because they've lost four out of their last five. Yeah. And it's been, it's been really bad recently. But if I had a pick, I liked I liked your uh, West Virginia pick. I also go ahead. I, uh, I mean, I, I like Auburn. I like Auburn versus uh, LSU. They've been fading, but LSU's not very good. I like. I Don't like fall Auburn. for Arkansas at Missouri. Yep, that's the one. I'm actually going to go opposite of that. I'm going to fade that. I, that's the that might be the play of the night. Um, Wait, you're saying Arkansas? Yeah, I'm taking Arkansas, getting a point and a half. Those are two really bad teams. That's I don't care. Want to watch. The other one that's Marquette? looking pretty solid to me, boys, I know you guys uh, might like to hear this. I am going to take Xavier Moneyline for a lot. A lot. Well, yeah, they if they lose to DePaul. I mean. Yeah, but I'm just saying I think they cover. I think Xavier covers tonight. I think they cover not easily, but they cover. And I'm going to take a money line for a lot of money just because it's going to be one of those ones where I expect to be sitting there, like, not worried at all. Why is the money on DePaul? Well, um, DePaul's athletic. Like, they can get up. Like, they've been feisty in some games. One thing I'll say about the um, West Virginia Mountaineers is that's one of those teams that Vegas has been high on that they just can't keep. They just haven't covered. They haven't. West yeah. Virginia was, uh, was two-point dogs against Kansas at home. They've Same not, thought, right? It's like, okay, let's take West Kansas. Virginia. They haven't been high on Kansas. Let's take West Virginia because it's a trap. You know, Kansas is only giving two points at West Virginia, and then you turn the game on, and Kansas wins by 25, and you're like, what are we doing? Kansas was like two-point dogs against Indiana. There's been some. There's been a lot of traps with Kansas. But they keep winning. That's they true. Keep covering. Like, that's that's true. my point. Vegas gets stubborn on certain teams. Listen, there was a year where I'm not joking. I think I lost – Fifteen hundred dollars, yeah, like eight bets on the Jaguars. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You're, you're, you're too I soon. have been stuck on that for my whole. It, it will never leave me. And and when I'm 50 years old, I'm gonna look at you guys and say Vegas was wrong on the 2021 Jaguars. That was. I bet on them every week because that's what the system said to do, and they finally did do it. About a week. The last week of the year. The Jaguars look like the Super Bowls, Jags that everyone thought they were in Vegas, I guess, because they beat the Colts when they were when the Colts were going to go to the playoffs, if you remember. But I've never forgotten that. So there's teams that Vegas just sticks on to, holds on to, and West Virginia might be one of them. So I might just sit back and watch that game and not bet on it, because the last thing I want to do is bet on West Virginia again and them lose by 15 and just be mad at the world, like I was at halftime last night when Kentucky was losing to Georgia. Don't break the rules. Proud Georgia man. Yeah. Casey. True. Casey. Yeah. He's real quiet over there, and he's holding uh, out yeah, this on is a ridiculous winning. Casey. I mean, this is unreal. I wish you guys seven seen. grand last night. He won. 
He, he, Seho came outside. He's like, dude, Casey won seven grand last night. And we're like, we all like jumped Sean. out of our, we all jumped up. Like, wait, what? And then Seho was like, no, you can sit down. I was just kidding. Like, I'm he, he won some units, not seven. Yeah. Sean was going to come in here and rip your head off. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You won on my bet. You won some on yeah, my I bet too. How many I got units, talked out of doing. How many <laughs> units did you win last night? Um, AJ, don't do it. Don't do the Bearcats. <laughs> well, I money played, line the Bearcats. That's like it. They screwed me out of a I lot played, of money this week. What we got, Casey? I'm listening. I play with small units, so well, I, just, I don't need to know the money. Just <laughs> how many units? But I, I, I won probably 30 units <laughs> last night. Yeah, I'm telling you. I came in and I sat down, and Casey read every bet slip that he had last night. And I'm starting to do the math of how many units he was up. I'm going. I thought I had a good night, and I was up like seven, eight units. He, he, he was up legit like 30 units last night. And he's I, holding out on I, all of us. I hit probably. I'm oh, so happy. I had three units. Well, I know. Units. I probably, he won 10 times that. I probably hit, I want to say, uh, if you want to count all the, all the picks and the parlays <laughs> together, like separately, I probably went like 15 and one last night. And he didn't say a word. Yeah. Didn't come in the Discord. Didn't text the group. My, nothing. Some of that, I didn't. I went to bed kind of early last night. So some of that, I went to bed knowing that I was a winner by like 10 units. And I was like, oh, I'll just tell them tomorrow. And then I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh. He was so won. confident in his bets. He didn't even follow them. He went to sleep. He went I, to sleep. I'll sit there and bet on YouTube TV till 3 in the morning seeing if the Lakers and LeBron can get it done to cover or something stupid like and, that. And I would have been up 40 units if Joel Embiid would have just had one more rebound. Because, you know. The Chessler was on that, too. Mm. He had 40. He needed a double-double. That was the no. word on the street, that okay. there was a boost on it. Uh, 41 points, double-double, 41 points and nine rebounds. All right, he got tonight. I have, a, I, have a, I have a conspiracy. I think Casey is coming up with something to say to us. Come up with something to say to us about how he didn't want to share his picks because he was going to bed early, he was tired, all this other crazy bull. You know what I'm going to say. He's he's on the train of me. He's he's superstitious. He put a cup. No, no, no. Let me finish my point. <laughs> okay, okay. He put a couple of picks that he had in the, in the Discord or told us one day or something, and they didn't hit after he hit a couple parlays. He's like, I'm not going to tell him my picks. And he picked again, and he hit. The other day, he hit again. He hit again last night, didn't tell nobody. This guy's holding out. He's decided that he's not going to share his picks because if he shares them, he loses. And if he doesn't, then he wins. That's what this is about. He is being greedy, doesn't want to let the group chat know what his picks are. He's going to come up with an excuse tomorrow. He's going to come in here like, look, guys, I won another one. Hit another four-game parlay. I was tired last night. I had Me and Alex had to go to dinner. I didn't even watch it. Didn't even stay up for the game. But Joel Embiid, if he'd have had one more rebound. <laughs> Casey, fess uh, yeah, up. Not entirely, uh, that's not entirely accurate, but it might have something to do with that. Um, but one, one of the – I got to actually shout out some of the um, – the one guy that I, I know You're I about to throw to. somebody else under the bus that isn't sharing picks. But go ahead. My Just best, go ahead. My best man Thomas, he 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 helps me out a lot. 
I mean, he's probably 50% of what happened last night. Without oh, you better him, cut him a check, him, damn it. Without him, I wouldn't have hit on some of those. But, like, he helped me with the uh, the Lakers parlay last night. He came up with that. Okay, so get and him in so the Discord. I, yeah, I mean, I, know, I, I mean, you're throwing, you're throwing. What are we doing? God, I told him. I was like, why aren't you saying anything? Dude, you're, like, on fire. You're up more than me. He's up more than me. We need to get Thomas on not too picky. We need to like do like a witness protection thing. Like have a have a change his voice. Change his screen. I like the I like the Lakers minus three tonight, um, and I like Joel Embiid to, to score twenty six points. I, 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 I will say like it's one of those things where I get it, but at the same time, if you're hot, then just just keep sharing them. And if you're super cold, let everyone know I'm. I'm not seeing the board well, but keep sharing them. Oh, trust me. You just got to be consistent. I'm doing that. <laughs> Paulie, your picks of the day are money makers, baby. Yeah. You just got to stay locked in and just see the board the way you're seeing it. Listen, the best thing you can do in gambling is not win all the time or lose or, or lose all the time. It's to share when you're winning all the time or losing all the time. No one wants 50-50 winners. So I will just say, Casey, if you're superstitious, that's fine. But you got to find a way through other means necessary to let people know what you're thinking. Right, and I'm well, going to be honest I, with you. I don't think it's a bad idea of sharing all your picks and then we just start fading. Because let's be honest here. It's got to burn out at some at point. Some point yeah, at some point, this candle will burn out. Well, I will say this, Dollar. Um, <laughs> I really love Betfred's boost for the Cavs game tonight. Because I already like the Cavs to cover 7.5. They have it. You at, do. So, so they have Mobley and Allen both record 10 points and six rebounds. I think that's doable. Cavs cover at 10 and a half. Was at 165, now at plus 200. I think that is doable. I'm going to be putting the max on that, I think. I love that so much. Big Evan Mobley guy. Wow. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my bets tonight, you guys already talked about both of them. Seton Hall, I think they've won three in a, three in a row. They're at home against UConn, correct? Um, I'm going to assume that you're right. I'm looking at different. Yeah. What are you looking at me like yeah. I'm crazy, Paul? He's going Big East. Hey, yeah, I'm taking, I'm, say I'm, it. I'm taking Seton Hall tonight. All right. All What's right. the line? Well, he was I, on He was on UConn. So I might like go on UConn. I haven't decided. I'm just taking Seton Hall money line. I think it's four and a half. It is four and a half. Um, and then I also have the West Virginia Mountaineers money line. Okay. I actually are don't hate that. No, those are by themselves. Those straights. Clemson's not playing tonight, so that won't ruin anything for me. <laughs> I'm never betting Texas Tech ever again. Uh, and then Trace is not allowed to watch a basketball game with me ever again. Yeah, that's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I would have won my Michigan game. State bet yesterday. All right, Wheel of Lunch. All right, Wheel of Lunch. One other play I will say that I that's looking promising is going to be the Atlanta Hawks tonight. Yes, that's the other one I was going to say. <laughs> looks, it looks good, it looks doesn't really it? Good. It looks good, <laughs> it looks doesn't really it? looks really good. I got on here. I was like, whoa. All right. Did you guys see the Spurs last the night? The Hawks, baby. Yeah, Spurs, the Spurs cover. Spurs were a big old play last Yeah, that was a big play. And did it hit? Oh, it yeah. did. Is the system starting to get some oil on it again? Because it was struggling I, for a minute. It does I, well I've in been NBA, keeping man. track. It does real well in NBA. The NBA? I'll tell you what it doesn't do well in. The NFL. Oh, the NBA, NFL is a crapshoot. <laughs> NCAA football next year? I can't wait. I seriously think if we had to put a, the system on a percentage basis within college football, it's eighty. It's eighty percent or more. And the, the bigger the, the bigger the game, the more the bigger the game, 
the the more likely the it is more to likely hit. it is to hit. A hundred percent. The more money there but is. But I'm I'm I well I know just because of the fact of you know the local bookie situation and how well I've done that it it has to hit at that percentage. The other thing I'll say about this, and I know that's um is that a is that a dollar? I don't know. Um, that's maybe fifty cents. That wasn't really like a full one. Nah. The the NFL, comparatively speaking to the the college football that we do, we're way better at college football. Mm-hmm. It's not even remotely close. And we haven't really gotten a chance to promote that as much as we probably should. But next college football season, I don't want to say we're going to go viral, but we're going to get so hot in here that. That people are going to think that the, the NF, the, not in NFL, but uh, NCAA football is rigged. Because it might be at this point. I don't know. Just What's for lunch? What's for lunch? Um, Do we have any good we Buffalo restaurants around here? Like Emperor, every gambler has a system. I know that every gambler has a system, Emperor. And keep the wheel up there. Casey while system I, while is I'm Thomas. Talking. <laughs> I have multiple systems. I, I I will say that I do think that everyone at first always thinks this thing is a shtick and they think that it's going to run out or it's not, it's not going to hit. It's going to end up being 50%, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I would say in college basketball, I've started to fall into the line of thinking that maybe it's not as good as we think it is. But when it comes to college football, I have completely blind faith in it. Completely blind faith in it. It's made way too much money. All right, I need some suggestions. Suggestions, sir. Boy's got like a thousand. I can read them off. He always. I want a sub. So uh, throw a firehouse McAllister's Subway Jimmy John's. I don't care. Throw Penn Station on there. Oh, you can't have Gold Star and Skyline in the same thing. They're two different places. Just well, take okay. take Gold Star and Skyline out. Take Gold Star and Skyline out. And... Yeah, yeah he's put in McAllister's. I don't hate that. Uh, put uh, uh, Culver's. We haven't been to Culver's in a long time. I'd say that's good. Bleed out the rest. Yeah. All right. Fired up. We need some music for this. Do do Maybe we can start. Lunch. I don't want to say rearranging the uh, studio, but oh, tough. I actually <laughs> want to consider the idea of getting more producers so we can start doing more things and make less of a burden on everybody, but have like four people working on Tom's show, so we can have like sound effects and all this. God. We just got killed back we, to back. We yeah, did. We did. Callister yeah, and Firehouse back to back. We got Penn Station on there. Paul, you want Penn Station to hit? Trust God. me. It's gonna hit Penn Station. You know, the one time I put Canes up there in like forever, and that's like not even really a, a place I want to go. But yeah, I, I don't really. Why'd you put like, it then, Casey? Because we hadn't been there in forever, and I just needed to. Uh, I'll be honest, right. I don't really want to end up at Canes either. Go ahead, just rip it. Are we disrespecting the wheel today? I don't think so. All right. Well, it is what it is. Wait, no, spin it one more time. <laughs> Best two out of three. Here we go. No, I don't think it's best to write a three. All right. Ah, okay. 
Last parting words for the chat. If you are in the Discord, we appreciate you. If you're not in the Discord, you've heard us say this a thousand times. Jump in there. Let's have some fun tonight. I'm feeling good about the board tonight. I, 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 maybe I'm jinxing us, but I'm, I think I'm seeing the board really well tonight. I like a couple plays. We can have some fun in there. Chat it up. Talk about ridiculous stuff for, for you know, whatever. The last three or four hours of a night. Wake up. Do it all again. Ooh. Hopefully, we need one thing to happen, though. I want you to say a little prayer about this tonight. This is kind of a joke. I don't want you to think I'm being super serious about this. We need the line. We need the line for the Bengals to drop down to four. Just four. If it gets back down to three and a half, we'll, we'll throw is a party. Is it three and a half? I've seen it up to five and a half, guys. Yeah, it's gone up to five and a half, I think. Well, you're just saying back to... We need now. to bring it back. Okay. We need to bring it back. Not that it's Not been saying there it's an emergency. Just saying we need to bring it back. We can't Good. have that thing go to six. We can't have it go up to six. We don't want that. We need to we need to bring it back to five, maybe four and a half. If it gets to four and a half, we've got a better quarterback. I like it. Definitely have the better quarterback. Thank you. It's not even close. Thank you. Josh Allen is not better than Joe Burrow. He's the fifth never best has been, never will be. I like Josh, but he's not that guy. He's okay? the fifth best quarterback. You're not that guy, pal. All right. We'll see you in the Discord later tonight. How about that? Take care, everybody.